In this episode, I'm joined by Dolama Mantis, a hermit, yogi, and shaman with a remarkable story. Mantis reveals how he was recruited into an occult sect led by a charismatic leader, subjected to brainwashing and psychic domination, and kept as a slave to commit violent crimes on behalf of the master. Mantis tells of his eventual escape and the subsequent four years living as a hermit in the forests of Lithuania, where he learned to meditate and underwent extreme austerities to recover his broken mind. We follow Mantis to the Himalayas, where he lived with Tibetan hermits and met powerful spiritual masters, and then to South America in search of true shamanism. After much searching, he finally met his abuelo and began a spiritual and shamanic apprenticeship under the tutelage of an extraordinary 94-year-old Peruvian shaman. So without further ado, Dolama Mantis. Dolama Mantis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You have had a very interesting life, and a lot of that life has been spent as a hermit. And, you know, at the beginning of this pandemic, I ended up on my boat here. I live on a boat. And pretty much since March, I've also been a hermit, but for very different reasons. And I bought this jumper at the beginning of that time. And I'm wearing it now as a kind of uh, in honor of your hermit uh, mm, I see story. you, huh? yeah. <laughs> uh, with a lantern, yeah. So uh, you're the hermit and I've got the hermit jumper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, um, it's good. It looks good. Huh? It looks good. It looks beautiful. Yeah, I think I think I need more than just this jumper to be a real hermit, though. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> okay, so uh, Dolama, thank you very much for uh, coming on the podcast. I'm very interested to talk to you. You've said that early on in your life, you experienced a lot of suffering and had a crisis early in life. Uh, you've talked mm -hmm. about even seeing demons and having to exercise them. And I'm not sure if you mean that literally or metaphorically. But mm -hmm. something serious was happening to you those 12 years ago that prompted you to leave society, to become a hermit for four years in Lithuania. Uh, can you talk about your early life, what kind of family you come from, and what occurred that caused you to leave society in that way? Well, you're starting with the first question, the most difficult question. <laughs> it's usually the most difficult thing to talk about exactly that, the start of my, of my say, path how it all started because just so many things had happened that you know I, I could write a whole book just on this basically um, and that was the most difficult experience for me of my life <clears throat> basically being like when I was 18 I was a kid 18 years old I entered or joined this religious movement this which i now would call sect a sect which had literally destroyed me <laughs> changed so much about me so since you ask about this i was about like not to talk about this <laughs> because it's a very long subject but uh -huh. i think it's important because you've had such a fascinating journey over these 12 years and gone through many shifts in terms of the way you approach your life, the way you approach practice. And of course, uh, your views have changed a lot and you're not the person you were 12 years ago. Uh, but I think in 
understanding the full arc of your story, these early experiences are really, really important. Okay, thank you, sir. I will narrate more on that. As a kid, uh, I was I was always a very like a shy boy. Uh, back at school, I was being bullied. You know, I would never get into any fights with anyone. I was one of the best students, however, I was good in studies, you know. Um, when I met that man who became my master, he was preaching about Jesus Christ. I didn't care about religion, I didn't care about Jesus, <laughs> but he had such energy, such magnetism, such charming energy that it was like, wow, what, who is this guy, you know? And then he started talking to me like, I, I saw that he can read my thoughts. He started telling me what I'm thinking. He started telling me what had happened to me. This guy could, could speak things that, what is going to happen to me, you know, what had happened to me before. So I was like, what is going on here? I, I, I have never experienced anything like that before. And being with him, I look to him and I see around him like this yellow aura, kind of, you know, like yellow, I don't know, background. Never ever in my life I would see such a thing, you know? It's like maybe on some pictures and some Jesus Christ or some saints, you see, you know, these things depicted. So I was like, what is going on here? And, and I started frequenting him and listening to him preach. He was talking about Jesus in his own way. Yeah. I guess I wanted to be more like him, to be brave, to be, to be charming. But at the same time, I wanted to, I felt that he has the answers, which I was deep in my heart searching for. Longing to know what really is life. So I started spending more and more time with him. Until I left my home, I left my parents, I started living close to him, renting a place. And he started telling me what things I should do, you know, like, in order to be growing. He accepted me as his disciple. Uh, and uh, he would tell me that I would have to do certain things like, for example, trust myself more or say to the people that I love them, tell my parents I love them. When I, I was still at, at, the, at the, like the last year at, at the school, so he would tell me that I, I could approach, you know, girls, women. I was so shy of that. Or he would tell me, like, basically to respect myself more and make others respect me more. And listening to him, every time I would meet with him and listen to him, I would feel charged up with his energy. His energy would, it, it, it would feel like I become stronger, bigger more courageous, more, more everything. So it was almost addictive to be with him. It would make me feel good. And charged up with this energy, yes. Uh, in the beginning, the changes were very positive and people observing me, they would say, what is going on to you, you know? They would look up to me and I remember the teachers at school would say, Mantas, my, my birth name, Mantas is, is, is blooming like a flower, you know? Like, what is going on? Uh, so everything was great. And that was the beginning. However, 
as I got more and more in, as the time passed, you know, he was preaching about things and he would start saying things like, mm, like we are following the we are following Jesus Christ and therefore we are superior to the world. And this was like, uh, really, you know? And and then it goes, and since we are following Jesus Christ, everything in the world belongs to God, to Jesus. So since we are following Jesus, kind of things in the world belong to us. So we 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 have the right to take what belongs to other people. It's not called for us, it is not stealing. God permits us to do that. So in the beginning, it was very, I couldn't accept those things, you know, it's basically stealing, right? But when you hear a thing again and again, again and again, and it's reinforced with different things, which I would call different paranormal kind of feelings and experiences I started to have with him. I, start, I, I really believed in everything he was saying, and therefore I start, and therefore to forward the time more and more, he asked me to go and steal, rob, beat people. I was trained in martial arts, I had to train myself to be a a hitman, really, to be ready to do what, whatever he tells me to. So basically from the boy at school who never got into any fights, you know, <laughs> who was bullied at school, I had to become an aggressor myself. And he will tell me, you go to that guy, you know, or he shows me a photo or he tells me where that guy lives, then you go and, you know, you have to beat him or, or you know, he owes me money. And you have to bring that money to me. And uh, yeah, man, I have to do these things, which was very, very difficult for me and very traumatic because it was never in my nature. And when I would have to go, and for example, I would have to go and meet people, I would inside myself, I would be trembling, I would be afraid, but I would have to. But I really believe that everything I'm doing, I'm doing it for God. So I had to do this. And I knew that if I want to do this, I have to not let myself think nor feel. If I let myself think one thought, then that thought will bring me feelings and lead me to another thought. And I will not be able to do what I mission. They were called missions. You know? So that kind of taught me like be a robot, don't let yourself think, feel, go and do the thing. But it was very traumatic for me. And, and uh, every time I would come home, I would just burst and collapse in tears, sobbing like a baby, experiencing pain beyond what I could actually express in words. See how I how much I have hurt people I love and who love me, such as my family, for example, I have to go to my family and, you know, ask my parents for money and bring that money to him. I have to go and commit different crimes, you know, I have, yeah, man, 
I became his slave. I became his slave. In an answer, we have to go. <laughs> what, what, how do you call it? Siphon the gas, gasoline. Like I would have to go with this canister into the city and, you know, like take the, take the gasoline from the cars. And uh, yeah, and it was very, very difficult for me within myself, very torturing experience. At the same time, as I'm saying, he asked me to train myself. I have to train in martial arts so I can be more, be better in doing the, you know, the missions. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was subjected to all kinds of austerities. He would tell me that, you know, in order for you to become stronger, because you are too sissy, you know, you have to, you know, I was subjected to cold, for example, in the in the winter in Lithuania, I'm from Lithuania. In the winter, I was living in a garage, no heating, nothing. So I was basically living, you know, as cold as it as it gets, you know. And yeah, and I gave him everything I had, so I didn't have any more money. I was he would give me food to eat whenever he would like to, and he would give me very little, so I was starving. Yeah. It was a very difficult time. The most difficult thing, however, was what I would call a paranormal dimension that opened with him, and that was also the thing which made me stay there. At the same time, believe in what I was doing because, well, apart from what I what I said, he, he could read me, he could know what I'm thinking. But at the same time, things started happening. Like I started having like thoughts happening in me which were not my thoughts and according to him according to the man according to the master as i called him this was god telling me what to do so it was kind of a weird experience you know have thoughts which are not yours in your in your thought stream and then also feelings which are not you in your let's say being stream how you feel and i started feeling terror fear guilt i didn't have any spiritual experience up to that point to know about such things as being possessed by demons you know but basically this is what it was he put things in me he put beings in me that were um taking my energy and also basically for the whole year year that i had spent with him all of the year imagine steve my body was constantly like shivering, shaking all of the time from this from this inner terror that I felt. In the nights I would wake up in the middle of the night speaking something or shouting, sweating cold with an experience of entities in me. And uh, it was also maybe reinforced for example, when I, I would have to go and do the things that the man told me to do, but if I would not, if I would not be able to accomplish the missions, there would be punishments, such as fast for three days, not eat anything. He would beat me. He would literally beat me. He would tell me to do more of the crimes. But maybe the most difficult, or would be 
that when I would not accomplish what he would tell me to, this psychic assault or spiritual possession thing would be more severe. So I would feel this thing in me way more. And, and I would really believe that it is God, it is Jesus who, who, who is, you know, angry on me for not, not, not fulfilling what I have to do. So, so I became so, so in, in that, in that second, that moment that anything he would tell me to do, I, I would do that. And if he would, if, if he had told me to kill myself, I would, this was, this was my dream to die. I remember I was living by the, by the sea, the Baltic Sea, and I would have to run in the mornings. Imagine in, 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 in the night, I would have to wake up like at two times. Yeah, like at three or four earlier at, at midnight, I would have to wake up. I would have to go and spend the whole night siphon the gas, you know, until I, until I get the canisters full or until I basically, until the morning comes four o'clock or something like that, I'll go back home where I lived with him. Then I would have to pray for like half an hour. Then I would have to go and prepare, make the heat, heat go to his room and heat his room like, like the, the stove, how you call it, you know, with, with firewood. And then I would have to go in the morning, run at the beach, was was living by the beach and train myself in martial arts. I remember times when I would be running by the beach and, you know, and the thoughts and feelings would be in me of this pain, so, so, so much pain that I would be, in, be, I wouldn't be able to bear it any longer. And I would just collapse in the middle of my running. I would just fall into the sand and I would shake and like convulse in agony. In te with tears in my eyes saying, God, Jesus, do you see what you have made, what you have done to me? I have given it all to you. You see what you made me become. You see what I'm living. And I would be sobbing there. And after like two minutes, I would realize, man, you have to get up and continue running because master, he will know that you stopped running and there will be punishments for that, you know? So at that time also being by the sea, sea became my best friend, sea, you know, to feel the motherly, I would say energy of the sea. It felt like it was the only being who could really understand me and listen to me. And my dream, my dream became to swim into an open sea until I drown. This was my, became my biggest dream. <laughs> and I, I, I tried to gather my strength and within a week of gathering, of, of praying to God that my master would let me to do this. After about a week of this praying, I went to and I, I asked my master, I said, I want to go to, to Jesus. I want to go to God. I want to swim into an open sea until I drown. And can I do this? <laughs> and he said, no, you have to do the missions that God wants you to do. <laughs> Basically go and rob, go and steal, go and be my servant, you know, be my slave. <laughs> yeah. So it was very difficult.
Yeah, I see myself getting, I, I, I didn't intend or expect to talk in detail about this. <laughs> well, started, thank I guess you. I have to continue. Yeah, thank you for uh, talking about yeah. that in such detail. I'm curious, may I ask a couple of questions mm -hmm. about it? Go on. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, uh, uh, of course, how you escaped that situation. But I'm also curious, looking back, of course, you've also traveled around the world and spent time uh, with mystics and hermits in the Himalayas, India, and South America. And mm -hmm. uh, you've encountered all sorts of people, uh, powerful, impressive, uh, spiritual teachers of various kinds. To what do you attribute this man's paranormal dimension? From where do you think he was drawing that power or that influence and is he still at large so where did the man get the power from one can how to say connect with this spiritual dimension and you know a spiritual dimension can be not only like beautiful love dimension but black magic is also kind of i don't know maybe we shouldn't call spiritual paranormal dimension anyways that dimension is present, and if you, you can, I would say, in, all around the world, you have this theme about man making a pact with the devil, right? It's interesting that in, everywhere I go, you know, this theme is like a recurrent theme. It's an interesting thing, and therefore I, I think and I feel that one can have a certain agreement with these, let's say, forces. One, let's say devils and such one could say black magic and uh, through this one can gain things from that side from those entities from that power and at the same time these entities can also gain things so basically for example the way to be with my with the man with the master is like these entities would give him basically anything that this world has they can give you money, fame, women, success. You know? And what he would give is that through him, these beings or this dimension would be able to leech off people like me, you know, and uh, on the energy level, take my energy and, and uh, for example, the, the terror I felt, the panic I felt all of the time, this is giving strength to these to these to this dimension so this is this is the way i would say and, and i would also yeah i don't know if i should say that but i could i was uh, i don't know if i should go into these things i was contacted by this force this negative force myself too they wanted to like connect with me in the same way meaning like we'll give you everything you want you know you just you know let's just like work together kind of work together you know so i could do that too but 
No fucking way, man. No way. So, so that is how I see it. That is how I see it. This, this, this dimension feeds on our, our energy and our fears and our feeling of guilt, which was also very prevalent in, in that in that sect where I was. So I guess this would be my answer. How did you escape that situation? Okay, so my I had problems with police, right? People knew about that. My parents knew that I'm in, in a deep situation. My father, my parents wanted to take me out from there. I remember when it was my father, he came to visit us, talk to my master. Basically, my father wanted to take me out from there. And I was present in that kind of meeting, you know, the three of us. I wasn't speaking anything. I was, by, by then, I was just a slave. I wouldn't be even permitted to talk. And if I would talk, I would be like subject to being punished. So they would do talk, my dad and, and the man, and then the situation would get hotter and hotter. They didn't come to any agreement. My master left the room. My father was there with me, asking me, begging me, saying that I can come back. You know, everything can be the same again. But of course, I, I had to leave the room and I left. I went to the, to the room of my master and he said, you know, he's, he, he's, he, he doesn't take the word of God. He's not your father anymore. Go and throw him out of, our, of my house. This was my mission. And I went back to the room and it was just so painful to me that to actually ask my dad out. Kind of almost push him through the door and see him kneel, kneel and say, please, you know, things can be the same as, as before. We want you to come, please, please. Yeah, there was so much pain in me and the time seemed to go so slowly as if, you know, time starts to go so slowly. Everything inside me was screaming and pain. I couldn't bear that pain. Somehow I closed the door in such a slow motion. Somehow I made it to my room. I was, the pain was so intense that I was like blacking out. Somehow I entered my room, I closed the door and then I just collapsed. I fainted, I fell down, I hit the floor, you know because this pain, this inner pain, the spiritual pain was just way beyond what I could bear. I got unconscious, but there I had a spiritual experience where I was kind of out of my body and I see my body laying on in this uncomfortable position, you know, on the floor. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of everything that had happened. I remember it all, right? But at the same time, I feel as if the whole universe sees me, as if the whole universe is aware of me, as if the whole universe is like millions, billions of eyes of awareness that sees me and knows me and knows every inch, every ounce, every whatever bit of pain that I have went through. And that that presence, that 
is not judging me for what I have done, but actually is loving me. And in that experience, somehow I thought or I said to that presence, I said, how is it, how is it possible that you love me? Don't you see me? Don't you see me who I am? Don't you see how black I am? Don't you see what I do? Don't you see I beat people? Don't you see what I have just done? Nothing, you know. But the only answer, there was no answer. The only answer was that love I felt. <clears throat> after some time, I don't know after how much time, I, I, got back, I came back to my senses to find myself on the floor. I don't know how many hours had gone by. I didn't understand what, what had happened. You know, what was that? But I knew one thing, this was the most beautiful experience I had ever had in my life. What I have experienced was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. And um, it felt as if a certain part of me in my heart, deep, deep in my heart, yet came to life. As if there is something in my heart I wasn't aware of that now came to being. And I became aware of that kind of divinity deep in my heart. But I was still fully like brainwashed, my, my thoughts. I, I believe that what, I'm on the right path. So I just continue, I continued doing what I had to do. I didn't talk about this experience to the man, to the master, because it was too beautiful experience to be shared. And I knew that he would maybe say some bad things about it. So I didn't talk about this to him. I continued doing the things I had to do, but I was different. I was already different. There was a being in my love in my heart, a being in my heart, as if a feeling of a little boy or a little me in my heart who loves me. And, and that experience within me, within my heart, was slowly growing. I continued doing the things I had to do which were at times also as almost as painful or as, as painful as the ex incident with my dad. And I had, again, at, at least one more time when I, the same thing had happened, I collapsed and I had this similar experience. And as a result, this inner presence was growing and growing until I, it was more and more difficult to go and meet people, go and do these things I had to do until one, day one evening i came back home i came back to, to 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 the master and i hadn't accomplished the mission and i remember i i entered the room and i looked to him and it was always or many usually the case that you know when i would see him and why, when he would look to my when he would look to me it would feel like he would just take all of my energy into him and this was that case also too, like I would look to him and I'd feel like he would like just take all of my energy into him. And I would just feel so weak. I, I, I'm not able to even stand. I have to somehow, what's the word? Walk a few steps forward. There was a chair and like lean on a chair with my both arms, you know, so I don't fall, you know, because I don't, I don't have enough energy because he just like, just looking at him, it just makes me like faint, you know. 
And he asked me, you know, have you done my mission? Can you accomplish that? And I said, no. No, you know, why? And uh, then I had this uh, also spiritual experience where I don't know what had happened, but something in me started speaking instead of me. Maybe this heart, this, this being from my heart started speaking. <laughs> and I was like an observer. And it said, <laughs> like, I, I didn't think that this was the right thing to do. <laughs> you know, so basically I doubted my master's holy, holy words, you know. He was, he was shocked, you know. And, he, and his energy was so strong. Felt like just his energy was like lightnings and storms that can just kill me. The way he was speaking, it was literally. Yeah. Somehow I was stammering to him. And I surprised myself saying that I'm sorry. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving this moment. I I said that. When I said that, when and throughout his this whole experience, I, I I what I could experience and feel was so intense. This presence of him, like this negative fear and blackness, and at the same time, on my side or on the other side, with this love and this light which is like the same experience I had in my heart. So like this was this collision, collision, right? Between these two forces and somehow the good force won. Uh, I said, oh, I leave you. He was, of course, he was very surprised. <laughs> what is happening to you? He said, okay, okay, you leave me. You know what is going to happen to you. You know what's going to happen to you. And I knew I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. I thought I would have, I thought I had like a, about two days and then I'm gonna die. Something is gonna happen. That sect, that movement, there were creepy things going on, like the father of the master, his dad, was his disciple. When he left the sect, he died. How you call it? Stroke in the, in, in the head, like the vein exploding. He died. Another guy left. He went to prison shortly after. Another woman left within, I don't know, I don't know within how much, how long, cancer, she died. The mother of the master also be, was her disciple. She left her, I don't know what had happened to her, but she definitely was doing, wasn't love doing it. My, my friend through, through whom I got into this movement, my classmate, when he left and it had happened at about the same time when I entered that moment, when he left, he had very difficult time to he wanted to commit a suicide also. He, yeah. <laughs> Basically many things like that. And none of these people had walked the path 
as intensely as I walked. Basically, I had become the right kind of a man. So I knew that <laughs> I'm in deep shit, man. <laughs> and the biggest thing was, it's not that I'm going to die, which was like a fact to me. The thing is that where I'm going to go from then on, and I'm going to go to this very same experience that I was having every day, shivering and shaking from fear and terror. I'm going to go to something so, so there is no love there. There is no love there. And yeah. <laughs> but I left, I left him. My grandmother told me I can go. She had a house in the village close to the forest. Told me if I can go and stay there. This is what I have done. I went to that, to, that, to that place. This is where later on I started my first videos on YouTube, Simple Hermit Days. <clears throat> I left him, but the difficult situation, the, <clears throat> I continued receiving attacks from him, psychic attacks from him. When I would just start feeling so, I would feel his energy. I would feel when I would know when he's thinking about me or he's sending me things. I would feel such cold and such fear, such panic that I would, I would have to, <laughs> I would have to sit down or lay down because I, I knew that I would faint. I would basically faint and fall down. You know? <laughs> Many things happen. I started drinking alcohol to subdue the pain because there was nothing for me left in the world. I was completely destroyed. Everything I was was destroyed. Nothing. Yeah. The only thing for me was there was God, really God. And I was praying. I still prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, I was still believing. I was still believing the things that many things he had told me, you know. But. Then this thing started to happen and um, what you would consider possession, my entities, them overtaking me. I'm doing something, whatever. And then somehow I become unaware of myself. And the next moment when I come back to my senses, I see that I'm, I'm walking to the shop naked to the town. Or I'm standing by the, you know, I want to jump through the window. Or I visited my friend, he invited me to eat. I'm, I am holding the fork and I'm looking into his throat. I want to, you know, stab him with the throat, with the, throat, with the fork in his throat. The most, yeah. I realized that this energy or this entities, this possession is definitely what a man has sent to me. There's a way to deal with me. <laughs> uh, the most frightening thing is not to kill yourself. The most frightening thing is that unawarely you kill somebody else. Because of what? what I saw myself capable of, or a being in me capable of. So I would, uh, yeah, man, 
it was very frightening because I knew that at any moment I can lose myself. At any moment of temporary unawareness, I would lose myself and it can be my last moment. When I would go to sleep, I would tie my both ankles, my, my both legs, I would tie them with a rope. It's a fairly easy thing to do. More difficult is to tie your wrists yourself. <laughs> this is what I would do because <laughs> so that I don't do something, you know. I hit the knives and forks from myself or from that other being in me on top of on the shelves, for example. most frightening experience was my brother. My brother came to visit me. And the next moment I, I came back to my senses. I'm holding this big knife, very sharp one, the sharpest one I had. And I knew how to do this. I'm about to approach him from behind. It's like in martial arts, in martial arts, I'm a martial artist. So, combinations, you know, like jab, cross, some kick and some other kick. You do it so many times, a certain combination and it becomes like a part of you, you know, you can do it without thinking. So when I came back to my senses, the combination in me, I felt like I had done it like millions of times was one step, two step, right hand stab the throat in his, in his heart from behind. I pull the <laughs> pull the knife and I go over his head and cut his throat. So this was what that entity in me was like a part of a second or a second like you. Man. <laughs> when I realized that I was sweating cold and shivering and shaking and that knife in my hand was shaking and dropped. I realized, man, it's the end. I have three options. I kill myself, one option. The second option, I go to psychic hospital, like a sanitarium, psychic hospital. Like, Hello, I'm crazy. Lock me up. <laughs> and the third thing is somehow I work on myself to gain my control over this, this thing. I chose, as you imagine, the third option. I left for the forest. Why? Because in the forest, there is nobody to kill. <laughs> in the forest, there are no knives and nobody to kill. I may run after some rabbits, maybe, or wolves, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I went to the forest. And being in the forest, I... Instantly, I felt and experienced that being in nature is is very helpful to me. All of this pain I was having in me, all of this craziness I had in me, because I wasn't really even aware, I, I couldn't discern whether what, what I'm having is waking consciousness or a dream or my memory. These states were so like messed up that I, I wasn't even like really for sure, I wasn't, I couldn't say for sure it's waking consciousness. I was so messed up. But being in the forest, I found out that it soothes me, and especially embracing the trees, I would find that it helps me to help me come back to my senses and, and soothe my pain, my these things. So 
as I would say, my first master were the trees of the nature that just embraced me and helped me. Without those trees, man, I wouldn't be talking to you still. <laughs> so. And uh, so I started spending time in the forest, seeing that it helps me. And at the same time, I didn't know anything about meditation, anything about yoga. But I knew one thing that every time when I'm unaware, even temporarily, that that power or those powers, those entities can overtake me. They're looking forward to that. Every time when you are unaware, for example, when you are aware, everything is fine. And for example, you start watching TV or something is when you kind of forget about yourself, you start thinking about something else, right? So basically for me, it would be like, if I just start thinking about something else, I'm, I'm running risk of making it my last, <laughs> my last whatever moments of my life. So I realized I have to be conscious and this is the way to combat this. And what I started to do is I started to ask myself, who am I, who am I, who am I? just to remember myself, just a way of anchoring, anchoring myself in me. Because when I would be anchored in me, when I would be feeling me, then these things wouldn't happen. So I started self-inquiring. I didn't know anything about Ramana Maharshi. I didn't know anything about any meditation. It was just my desperate pursuit to survive. And uh, <laughs> I started practicing this technique all of the time because I knew that every moment can be my last. Every moment can be my last. When I would go to sleep, I would, I would be afraid because I wouldn't know if I would, I'm going to wake up. So I was practicing this practice and surprisingly it was, I found it really powerful practice because in the week's time, in like two weeks time, I found myself so changed I grew so much or I became so much more conscious of myself that this power couldn't take hold of me any longer. And instead of trying to take hold of me, the entities they became afraid of me. And I felt that they don't want to be around me anymore. They just left. They just left. In just two weeks of this crazy practice. Also prayer, I was praying most. And also embracing trees. <laughs> So this was how my meditation started. And after that, I, apart from dealing or exorcising, let's say, these entities for myself, I started having all kinds of experiences in me. Like I started remembering my past lives, for example. I started remembering myself as a spirit. You know, like, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Okay, I'm not the body. Who am I? So. In this way, you want or not, you go deeper and deeper and you go to like spiritual level. And I start remember like having out of the body experiences and like astral things and remembering myself as a, a spirit, remembering things from my previous lives. And then let's say the bardo state in between death and birth. I would remember just out of nowhere in my meditation, bam, I would start remembering these things. And I started and this, also practice started giving me peace which i didn't have throughout all of this time in the sect and, and after all of the love i didn't that i didn't know this this practice started to give me 
a new dimension in me which was not frightening but which was which was beautiful dimension that was nurturing dimension and it started heal me from this in this complete devastation I, I was after the sec started healing me and opening me to more and more understandings and and realizations that life is way more than I ever thought it was. So I didn't have any desire to go back to to the world and continue worldly pursuits, you know, because now I saw these different things like remembering your previous life and things basically changes your perceptions. And now you see, man, the only thing that truly matters to me is I just continue this path of diving, delving into myself and finding out who really I am and who really life is, who really God is. And this is how I started interested in meditation. I started reading about like mysticism and Himalayan mysticism and all these saints. Milarepa was my hero, you know, and uh, I started practicing all kinds of uh, practices and I would go straight, straight forward into intense pranayamas and things that are supposed to be like, you shouldn't practice this, you know, as a novice, no. But I would just go straight in in the most intense way I could. I was very extreme. I was so extreme that I had to talk about it. Fascinating. Where did you get the resources to read about these things? I know you read about Shivananda, you read about Himalayan mysticism and all these sorts of things. Where did you get the resources, the books and so on? You're well informed, Steve. Huh? Thank you. It's nice. I see you can watch my videos, you know. Yeah, Shivananda, he had some, yeah, he had good books. At that time, it was, what year? It was 2000 and, I don't know. I left Lithuania 2008, so it was before then. In the village where I stayed at, at the house, close to the forest. I had, a, I had a computer, so basically, I would, I think I downloaded some some books, you know, like Shivananda, as I say, and these, these Milarepa stories and other things, and I would be studying and, and, and reading them and then practicing. Back then, it was little information. Right now, you can find all kinds of books and, you know, and read. Back then, it was way more difficult to, to find about it. So I guess we are more fortunate now in a way. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say I would say to this also that the, the I didn't have a like master teacher that I could approach. My teacher was I say my, my forest trees. And my teacher became the very process I was living. My teacher became the very self-inquiry. My teacher became observing my breath, observing my mind, observing my mind. My body became my future. So, you know, people say, many say that, oh, it's it's dangerous to practice different meditation techniques and spiritual path if you don't have a master, you know. Well, I, for me, the master was my forest, master was myself, master was my intense devotion towards life, towards God, that was so intense that it would literally be extreme. 
Extreme, yeah. And you've stayed that first period was two years long before you set out to India with the intention to become a Tibetan monk and practice the six yogas of Naropa. Wow, that'd be good. Uh, you, know this, you know my story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you were there, you meditated in the caves in the Himalayas. You encountered uh, teachers like Namka Rinpoche in Nepal. You spent yeah. time with Tibetan hermit in his, in his hermitage. Uh, you also had some disappointing experiences with what you described as superficial masters. I'm wondering if you can talk about when you got the idea to go to India and how that whole journey unfolded. First of all, I'm really pleased and thank you. And I really appreciate and I respect that you took your time to find out about, you know, about what, what my things. So, yeah, I, I lived in, in, Lithuania, in Lithuania in by the forest or in the forest, as I would spend more and more time in the forest, especially like in, in, the, in the summers. I would stay there in a tent in the winters, not so in the winters, I'll stay in a tent. But seeing that I don't, I have no desire to come back to the world and do the world things anymore. And at the same time, I felt pressure from the world that I have to, even without meeting with people, I basically lived alone. I could feel my family. I could, I could even feel what they feel or think, kind of telepathic, let's say, thing. I would feel what they think and feel, and I am definitely really wanting me to come back. We definitely thought that my relatives thought I'm like a black sheep. They were gossiping about me. And uh, yeah, they tried, they wanted me to come back and, you know, like start study something. You know, you were the best student at school. Why don't you pursue your dreams? You know, why don't you find a woman and such and such? And for me, it was like, I'm so far away from all of these things, you don't understand what I have in me. No, they couldn't understand. None of the people could understand. So I felt like really like a very outcast, not outcast, but like that I'm being there in Lithuania, I, 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 I couldn't see my life there. I'm gonna continue living in the forest there. So I started seeing, man, I have to go to the Himalayas and I will, there I'll, I will find my kind of people, you know? I'll go to the caves, you know, and also reading little stories such as Milai Repa, for example, which was like a, such an inspiration to me. It was just make me burn. Like I have to go there. So this is where I decided I'm going to India. I'm going, I'm going there to, to practice for a lifetime. And I'm gonna either attain enlightenment or die. And I wasn't afraid of the latter <laughs> because now, the death was no more an experience I would be afraid of because back then in the sect dying would mean I would have to go to that dimension which is complete terror and lack of love as I'm saying to put mildly for the lack of words but after my practices and after finding my life in me death was no longer something I would be afraid of since then I'd like to ask you about India, but was there a moment when you felt liberated from that connection to that sect? Was there a moment in particular, or was it more gradual? Gradual. Gradual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say also, like, a thing, another thing that helped me to disentangle from the man, from the master who had 
power over me because definitely being is staying with me here like constructed these subtle pathways energetic pathways of connecting with me and reaching on my energy and, and putting things in me right because like there was like a certain what's the word like connection that the link between us that he produced to basically what what he wanted with me in order to destroy that link i found that you know i was afraid of him every time i would think about him i would be like feeling like fainting but i realized that one thing that these are opposites fear and love and if you are afraid that is a lack of love and if you're able to love then there will be no fear so therefore i tried to forgive him and even start to love him as as a way of destroying that that connection between the us that was a connection of basically through fear and through all of this whatever black magic whatever ways so this is the thing i the i, I tried to you know like start to love him of course it sounds very like how are you going to love this man so i would say i would like to love him i would like to forgive like in, in my in my thoughts i would like address him i would like to love him but uh, i would like to love you but i i'm not able to i would like to forgive you but i'm not able to but i tried to forgive you and please i tried to forgive you so like gradually i was trying to in this positive way to to kind of melt or eradicate this this connection that was between us and when this connection was no longer yeah he, he couldn't do anything to me anymore. I hadn't met him since then. I don't know what is about his life. It was about 15 years ago. In the forest, you also in very extreme practices, fasting, extreme breath holds. And on one occasion, after reading a passage of the Bible, you, in fact, seriously considered castrating yourself. Yeah, <laughs> no. And uh, you you said that the only reason you didn't do it uh, was because you didn't want to have to go to the hospital and possibly risk breaking your retreat. Yeah, I wanted to cut my balls off. Yeah, as I'm saying, it was very very extreme. I thought in this way I would get closer to God. You know, <laughs> uh, I drank myself to to make it more easier for me to do the the slicing thing i remember i was holding the same badass knife i almost killed my brother with <laughs> very sharp and i think how should i cut it you know slow or fast because it should be one quick you know and then i'm thinking man but <laughs> if i cut it there's gonna be something there's gonna be blood and i may like Paint, and you know, it's not like I'm gonna be all right, just experience something. I'm, I may die, and if I die, I'll be problem, you know, a dead man in, 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 the, in the house of my grandmother. So I'm gonna be a problem to, to other people. <laughs> so I didn't want to be a problem to other people. <laughs> and this is why I said maybe I should wait until I know how to do this better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I never de- done that, <laughs> as you might know. I have a son. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> so, 
over the years, your approach to this path, as you say, and these practices has changed very radically. And you've spoken a lot about changes in your view since that time. You've said that you really hated life and you considered your body to be a prison and you've really uh, come to a very different view now. But in the meantime, you went to India. Can you say something about the trip to India and the people that you met there, particularly perhaps Namka Rinpoche and the Tibetan hermit? Being in India wasn't as I expected it to be. They say, they say uh, India has a lesson to you every time. For me, the lesson wasn't as I had expected, you know. I, uh, I, I really went there, thought I would find these like enlightened beings, you know, levitating and such, and I would stay with them. I thought I would find these caves waiting for me. What I found is like, difficult, like you, it's difficult to find a cave. You find a cave, it's so humid inside, so cold. I almost died from cold. <laughs> I tried to practice too much, I could. <laughs> almost died from cold. They were like approached by bears and things. It wasn't as romantic as, you know, reading some book. <laughs> it wasn't as easy. It was difficult. And also, I found these people who would claim themselves to be enlightened, but and find them at all enlightened. So that was a painful experience for me to see. Who were these people that um, claimed to be enlightened? I don't know if I want to talk bad about certain people because there are also certain like high lamas there. At least that was my experience. I didn't con connect, you know. Um, so it was rather a painful experience this way, but then when I have kind of lost my hope of finding really shining beings, this is when I, I met, this is when I met Namka Rinpoche, when I was like, oh, I'm fed up with these llamas, you know? Oh, a friend of mine told me, let's go to this, you know, monastery over there, you know, in parting, there's gonna be like a, a, a big Tibetan llama coming, you, you want to see him. I said, man, I'm tired of all of these llamas, I have seen enough of that. You know, I am not going, but somehow I changed my mind and yeah, and I had this very beautiful spiritual experience with Himoche. Man, it was, it was beyond words, beyond what I could express in words. Just without words, he just looked at me and I experienced such love and light that it felt my whole body was like bursting in, in ecstasy. I, man, and later on, I was one of the very few ones who got an audience with him. So I, I had a chance to speak with Namka Rinpoche. And, uh, and, he, and that experience I got from him, that light, I actually experienced even without him needing to say anything to me, just looking at me without any words. That light was so beautiful. It was like for me, like a new, like new goal or what should they say like i want to also give to other people what he has given to me like this beautiful nurse it's even beyond words it felt like the sun was shining onto me right i felt that this was such a beyond words beautiful experience that i would like to work towards becoming myself uh, to give others that very same meaningful 
thing. I hadn't seen Mampir in Pushay since then, but I remember him and I would, I would like to see him. I would like to see him again. Yeah. About, about Mihormet, you want me to narrate on that? Sure. I, th I think it's uh, very fascinating. And then I'd like to talk about your abuelo uh, in Peru. Mm -hmm. uh, that, ah, okay. That, yeah. that part of the journey too. But yeah, I think uh, seeing as we're in India, let, you may as well tell that story. It's a great story. Still, she short time with Abuelo from Mihormet. He didn't know any English. I didn't know any Tibetan, right? But we basically did our own practices all of the time. And it was really fun and nice to, to be with him. It was like, I would be doing my pranayamas. He would be doing his chantings. Then I would be like, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I lay down to, to lay down to, to sleep. He continues when I get up in, in the middle of the night. He is sleeping, then I start doing my practices and he rolls on, on the other side. He looks to me, opens his eyes like, oh, okay, you are practicing. And he rolls on the other side and continues sleeping. So with him, like we couldn't communicate like in, in, in language of words because of different language, but just being with him was so, he was a very loving old man. And it was very, very beautiful, very, I would say funny in a way also too, because I have very warm memories of that. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah. So uh, shortly afterwards, you returned to Lithuania, spent some more time in the forest, but eventually uh, you found your way to South America. No, actually not. Actually not Steve. I, I didn't go to Lithuania. I didn't go back to Lithuania. I lived in Switzerland. Oh, okay. I... Uh, my first, first girlfriend, I followed her. She was a Swiss girl in Nepal. And I lived with her in Switzerland for half a year. And she she urged me, let's go to, to, to South America. And she made me go to South America. Mostly because of South America has a lot of nature and forest that you like. And South America has shamanism and ayahuasca. So this is how I ended up right. in my life in this beautiful place. So this is an important phase now or next step in your journey. I think many people know about ayahuasca, the psychoactive brew made by Amazonian shamans. And I'm curious how it was you encountered it and how it was that it became such a central part of your life and practice. And also how it was that you met Abuelo, your shaman mentor. I don't know where was the first time I heard about South American shamanism and ayahuasca, but it instantly connected with me because, because if, as I'm saying, if not for my trees and nature, I wouldn't be talking to you. You know, thanks to nature, mother nature that I am I'm alive. So I have this connection with nature. And, and therefore, a, a way of spirituality, shamanism as a way through nature or connecting with nature, one knows about himself and life. For me, it connected with me instantly, like, oh man, I would like to, to know more about this. And this, is, this was probably the main reason why I came to South America and got into master plants, ayahuasca mainly, but other plants as well, San Pedro, also known. And, also in shamanism, also you 
drink different plants, you diet different plants. However, when I came here, I was like, I wasn't really sure if this path, well, if this path sounds true and to me in my heart sounds true, like through nature that I connect so well, one can come to know life or God or oneself. But I like to really prove the validity of the path, you have to find a master, right? Who would be a real master. So I set out to search for a man like that. And it's not a, it's not a very easy thing to, <laughs> to find a real master, as you may know. One that you would consider really, you know. Uh, because one thing is to find a shaman who knows about ayahuasca, who knows about plants, who knows how to give ceremony, who knows how to misuse those powers, who has powers, and who knows how to use or misuse those powers. But another thing is to find a man who, or a woman, who following this path comes to know oneself and comes to know life. So this, I found this answer in, in the abuelo, in the grandfather, in the... When I met him, he was like 92 years old, I guess. I don't know, 90 what years old he was. An old man living all by himself in the middle of deep Amazonian jungle. Man, to get there, it was always a difficult thing to get there. It's so far away and it, the ways to get there is so difficult, full of dangers and such. And the old man is living there with his tarantulas and you know snakes and everything. And people come there to him as a healer to heal both both Peruvians from surrounding like tribes and and you know, but also more and more later on more and more like people from around the world would go to, to search for him. And I I found him and I he became my grandfather, my abuelo, because instantly I fell in love with him. It was like not. I'm gonna stay with this shaman because I'm gonna. I want to learn shamanism. You know, for me it was like I'm gonna stay with him because I love him, because he. I feel he's like my grandfather, because I just fell in love with him, and because he was, for me, an, an embodiment of what. Yeah, of light, just so much light that he was shining and love that in his presence it would feel like you are in heaven, feel like time stops being in his small house living there man it was it's like living in hell because it was so hot and dangerous and always always dangerous around but at the same time have his presence was like having heaven in hell so it was rather intense experience you know two in one and i have lived with him i would stay with him for months and then I would come back and do some retreats in different places or I would work in some other places and I would always come back and continue learning with him, living with him, dieting plants with him and helping him. I was helping him basically as the, the man who does the things there because I was the one who stays there most of the time. And other people, they would come to heal, you know, and they would go, they would come to drink ayahuasca for a ceremony and they would go and since I would stay there, and since I would be the one staying and living with Abuela and learning with him, so I, I became like his apprentice. And I was preparing ayahuasca, I was giving ayahuasca ceremonies, I was helping heal people, and, and yeah, man, a lot of things had happened there. Abuela is dead 
in his body, at least he's dead now. But I don't feel, I don't ever feel like he's dead. He's always present. I always feel him in me. Yeah, and it's just for me such a blessing to have met and lived with him. That is just um, something beyond what I can express. That man shines so much love, man, and so much light that it would feel like as if you are kind of stoned being with him. It felt, it felt this sincere love that that just nourishes you. Yeah, you can uh -huh. still feel that now. Yeah, I can still feel that. How do you think he yeah. became that way? Well, he dedicated his whole life to, the, to that path. He started treading the path of shamanism at the age of 18 or 16, I don't know. And basically, he dedicated himself to, to this and he lived also as a hermit, as a shaman for most of his life with plants, learning from plants as a way of getting to know, as he would say, reality. He would say, you have to get to know the reality. You have to come in to realization of reality. That's that is what he would say to all of the people. And that means like come to realization of truth or enlightenment. So yeah, for him it was the path through the plants and and his dietas, his being like also like living like a hermit, and also through his selfless. Yeah, because he, he, he's one of the most selfless person I have ever met. Helping other people, healing others. It was like just, just to see, just to have him as an example would be like making me kind of like want to cry from emotion to see how he would like, like such unselfishness that would be like, man, I cannot express in words. Abuelo, yeah, yeah, Abuelo. and he was always laughing, and uh, I have very good memories of him. These days, ayahuasca has become very popular, quite big business, and there are many shamans, I presume of varying quality, offering uh, ayahuasca ceremonies and San Pedro ceremonies and things like that. What would you say is the difference between, in your experience, someone like Abuelo in the way they are or the way he leads the ceremony or some of his procedures or who he is as a person compared to the other uh, shamans that are, of which there are many all throughout South America and actually beyond. As you may imagine, uh, of course, you know, there is much commotion around that. Yeah, so it is difficult to find a, a true shaman. It is difficult to find a true shaman because most of the people you will meet, they are after, you know, money. <laughs> because you make good money with, with giving ceremonies and also i would say it is an ego thing also because you know when you get people from all over the world come to peru to drink those plants and these people look to the shaman as he is some kind of super you know enlightened being then uh, it's an ego thing also you know to feel special as a shaman and therefore sadly it is there are many people out there shamans who whom I wouldn't really call shamans or maybe I would say that there are shamans who 
know how to work with ayahuasca, who know how to work with plants, who have understandings, whom we could call shamans, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that they don't, they don't have selfish motives and that they are enlightened, you know, because um, uh, you may have people who, who know how to work with plants, but still when the ceremony, see, see ayahuasca ceremony comes, he may decide not to help you because he doesn't want to, because he is, you know, the work of a shaman is a difficult work. And, and, uh, and if you don't feel like really putting all of your effort and all of you to help other person, for example, during the ceremony, then you, then you won't. Then you just give the other person to drink ayahuasca and you leave them to go their own ways, you know? You, or you come and you chant uh, some Icarus, some chants, kind of mantras, shamanic chants, you know? And, you know, I have done my work as a shaman, but if you really, as a shaman, because I'm working with the plants myself too, so as a shaman, you, it's up to you how much you want to involve yourself with, with the people drinking, with the patients. It's up, it's up to you how much you want to involve yourself with them, because involving yourself with them means that you can, for example, take bad things from them onto yourself, help go into their like deepest hell and, and help them there. But those places are no fun to go with, and sometimes they are pretty dangerous also. So if the shaman doesn't want, he doesn't he, he, he just doesn't go in those places. He just doesn't go to really help person. Therefore, it is difficult to find a really unselfish, really, really, really unselfish person who would who would give himself fully to you during ceremony. This is a sad reality, yes, <laughs> but that's that's how it is. Mm. I hadn't met another being like Abuela. Well, Abuela for me was like a, the most of, the, the, the best example I could ever see. Mm. I have met some good shamans, yes, some shamans I would recommend, yes, but most of the shamans here, <laughs> man, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> Be careful, because shaman can also do certain things to you during during the ceremony. He he can help you, but he can also like my old so-called master. You know, during during the ceremony, you if you're if you work with the plants, if you work with the ayahuasca, you you know the ways how to enter people, and you know ways how to do things. So instead of helping people, you can also misuse them. You can do bad things to them. You can use them for your own advantage. And this is not, uh, <laughs> this thing happens also. Unfortunately, this thing happens also. So, so for a person who would be looking for a shaman, I would say, be careful and trust your inner feeling. Yeah, that's what, that is what I would say. Thank you very much. And so now you are indeed, uh, part of your work is as a shaman. And also, you do other things, health, uh, personal training, and so on. Uh, is that correct? Lately, I'm not working on personal training, like physical disciplines. You know, I'm, I like like heavyweight lifting and martial arts and things. This is what I was doing. Lately, I am I'm giving retreats. I'm giving retreats here in Peru, uh, where we practice 
meditation, yogic practices, and also master plants. Usually ayahuasca. This is what I'm doing for the past a few years. I'm not working much on personal training nowadays. Even though I love training, I love weightlifting, I love martial arts. I love feeling strong. I love feeling of testosterone, man. I, I have to say that. But lately, I'm, you know, you, we have a limited amount of time in life. And uh, I just thought I will give more priority right now to just full on sanana. And basically, since the beginning of Corona thing, since last, last year, yes, last year, March or what, I'm on a retreat, you know. Um, here in the jungle, in the wild jungle, I'm, I'm practicing all of the time. This is what I'm doing. I understand you do sometimes 10 hours of practice a day. Usually. I try to make more than 10 hours. Yeah. Uh, I, I practice. I practice intensely. I practice as intensely as I can. But I try not to over overdo because... Uh, it's not <laughs> I I overdo. Yeah. For example, now I, I came back to eating just once a day, eat only one time a day, because I see it makes my sarana more strong, kind of makes the fire in you, you know, more fire element more, which also makes your like sarana kind of stronger. I eat once a day, I practice all of the time. I wake up early in the morning, like at 3 a.m. usually, doing all kinds of practices. Most, I, I love pranayamas, which are very intense. Also, asanas, mantras these days, I do quite a lot of mantras. Also, I do some self-inquiry, many different kriyas, and many also practices that I just feel like doing, like, for example, connecting with the sun, uh, feeling the sun, and, or connecting with the water. I have like close by a small waterfall, kind of waterfall. So I go there and I just try to connect with the water and basically, you know, love it and feel it. And in this way, connect to life in different ways. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, I, I, it's, it's, it, it's, Right now, I am on the retreat. I'm living alone. But since I have this internet connection here, I sometimes I, 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 I'm invited to some podcasts or something. So I, I, sometimes I do that, such as the one with you, which I'm really enjoying. Still, thank you for inviting me. It's, it's been really a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, yeah it's been a, such a pleasure to talk to you as well, uh, Mantas. Thank you for sharing your life here and talking about your practices when you're saying, oh, you know, I don't want to overdo my practices. So a minimum 10 hours a day. <laughs> Where can people find out about you? Of course, I'll include uh, your sites and so on in the show notes. But what's the best place for people to find out more about you, follow you on YouTube and so on? Yeah, so it's watch my videos on YouTube and also, I have this Facebook page, the Lama Mantas, the Ripped Yogi, I think it's called. So this is where I post more. These are the two places you can find me. Dolama Mantas, thank you very much. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And I find myself speaking very openly. And 
tools good we can do damage and thank you you are you are a good podcast host or uh, we can leave you can put this on the video also on the original one also <laughs> thank you for listening to another guru viking podcast for more interviews like these as well as articles videos and guided meditations visit www.guruviking.com